Welcome to Season 3, Episode 19 of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And joining me for the podcast once again today, as usual, is my co-host, Patrick Reed. Patrick, how are things going over there in the Gambia? Things are going well. How are things in on the eastern shore of Maryland? Awesome. Busy as can be. We got vacation Bible school coming up beginning Monday. And um, we're, as I'll mention here in a moment, working towards summer camp plus the normal routines of church ministry. So there's a lot going on around here, but it's uh, it's good. All's good. I want to be busy, not not bored. <laughs> Got an update this morning, by the way, from um, the Romains. Uh, just kind of a comment along the way of how things are going with them. For those of you who uh, remember little Ian Romain, our missionary, um, to Spain, Jonathan and his wife, Hannah have some children and one of their children, his name is Ian. And, uh, some of y'all I'm sure remember and have been praying for him. He, um, has a cancerous tumor in his brain stem. And, uh, so they're here in the States. He's going through some specific treatment, trying to, um, not cure the problem, but at least slow the problem down to give him some uh, some relief there. He's just a little fellow. And I just wanted to read this so that we can pray for them continually and uh, keep them in our minds. Hannah wrote, uh, we sleep within earshot, earshot of the medical helicopter landing pad and the loud whirling of its rotors is a consistent reminder that pain surrounds us, almost hedging us in. Our window is just a few stories above the emergency room entrance, and in the dark hours of the morning, weeping and wailing mothers can be heard, waking us from our sleep, an audible reminder of the deep groaning our souls contain, often left unexpressed because of the duties of each day requiring all of our focus. Our son, getting stronger and spunkier than ever, has lost his hair at his radiation site, the reminder that there is an evil growing in his brain stem, hidden deep inside, always attacking, trying to overtake him. How are we doing? We are only able to do anything because we cast our souls on the Lord and his care, confident in his steadfast love and depending on it to anchor us. So keep praying for the Romaine family and little Ian. And uh, if you don't mind, Patrick, we normally start with prayer and I got all excited with the, the other things that were going on in preparation for this. Would you mind starting our podcast off with prayer and praying for little Ian Romaine once again this morning? Sure. Uh, Father, we come to you this afternoon, uh, just thankful that um, we can be recording this podcast, um, but we we think about the remains uh, and Ian and uh, the difficulties that they are going through right now. And uh, we just pray that you would uh, comfort them, uh, give them peace, um, give the, the doctors the skills and the knowledge to, to treat Ian and uh, to make him more comfortable. And uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would be with this family in a special way today um, and uh, keep them close to you. We pray all these things in Jesus's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Yes, morning here, afternoon there. So I don't know what the proper thing to say is. Good. I was supposed to say good afternoon to you, and you're supposed to say good morning to me, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. Uh, and I've asked my wife to turn her mic on today. She's usually on anyway as uh, our studio audience just listening, but she's likely to have some pertinent comments today, and I'm sure you'll see why as a listener. So Honey, thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm fine. I have to ask her because, you know, we don't necessarily talk a lot at home. We just pass back and forth telling each other where we're going next. I'm sure most, many couples have that experience as well. 
So today the title of the podcast is Campfire Conversions. Campfire Conversions. Um, what we really want to talk about is summer camp, the role it plays in the life of the church, and the strategies that we follow in camping ministry. So let me tell you where the idea for this podcast episode originated. Uh, we're in the thick of preparing for our week of summer camp, summer church camp, which is coming up the first full week in August. That's August 7th through the 13th. And I'm the camp director for the Delmarva Baptist Fellowship, uh, which is a group of roughly about a dozen churches scattered throughout uh, Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. And uh, the truth is, we will probably be missing some recording episodes for this podcast quite a bit over the next two months while we're working on getting ready for camp. We're having to sacrifice some other ministries uh, in order to make that one work. Um, but I was thinking about making you know, that announcement on the podcast, and I got thinking about uh, one of the more common complaints that I've encountered over the years concerning church camp. And here's the complaint. Uh, shortly after I became pastor here at Grace, one of the deacons, and I'll tell you who it was, it was Bob Schmidt. He's gone to heaven now. He stopped me one Sunday and started talking about how he was happy about camp and, you know, how excited everybody gets about it every year and, and all that. But then he expressed concern about how everybody seems to come back from camp every time gung-ho for Jesus. And we're glad for that. But he, he's like, that happens every year. But then a week or two or a month later, everything goes right back to how it was before camp, like camp never happened. And like the commitments that the people made at camp, you know, were either insincere or, you know, just too shallow to stick. And of course, I had seen this phenomenon myself, even though I hadn't necessarily verbalized the observation. Um, you know, I'd seen people come back from camp and testify on the Sunday night after camp, you know, and, and really just be super saints uh, in the moment, but it just didn't last. And so I think he had a valid point that he was making. Um, of course, it's not just summer camp that suffers from that phenomenon. Revival meetings, big Sundays, New Year's resolutions, you know, new programs that you start, sometimes even my weekly sermons seem to affect similar responses. Initial zeal and eventual apathy. Um, so I'm going to talk quite a bit about my camping experience, but uh, before we get too deep into this theological discussion and before I get to rambling on about my camping experience. Uh, Patrick, what's been your experience with camp? Uh, as you were a kid, did you do summer camp? Did you do church camp? Uh, what, what's your experience with camping? Well, I didn't do church camp, um, mainly because I wasn't a Christian. So didn't uh, didn't seem like something I was very interested in at the time. Right. Uh, I do recall going to a camp. Um, I went to, I can't remember if it's elementary school or middle school it was it was a fairly younger age for you know a school type camp that they had and it was probably you know similar to a christian camp except that you know they weren't talking about jesus but you know you could do all the different activities and fun stuff and team building type things and all that that sort of thing so that's my experience all right how about you hun what's your camping history especially before you met me <laughs> yeah um, so I did go to church camp, um, <clears throat> and our youth group went to, uh, the wilds. Um, and so I was able to, um, experience that type of camp. Um, obviously it was very dynamic preaching. Um, and they, they yelled a little bit, but you know, not as much as what you've experienced. Um, but it was such a, it was a great time. I still can, it's funny. I was reading over this and I was like, wow, I remember what the dining hall looked like and where you go to walk up to the dining hall and, um, the big, uh, the big slide where, um, we could go on that mat down, uh, you know, just different things and, you know, where the, the chapel was and the location of the chapel with the waterfall and, and all that. And so, um, and, you know, then when we were married, we took a group for, I think it was leadership, uh, camp there. And, uh, I think Kayla was a baby when we went and, uh, 
So just the opportunities that we've had to go to the wilds was a blessing. And I'll never forget when we first got there, um, the bus overheated right at the beginning of the uh, entrance of the camp. And so that was, um, it's funny how I remember that's been so many years ago, but um, you know, just, I don't think about it often, you know, at the beginning I was like, well, what camp did I go to when I was a, when I was a kid? Um, but so anyway, so yeah, camp, the camp of the wilds was the, was my camp that I went to as a, as a teenager. And then as a young adult as well. So I had forgotten about the wilds actually. And yeah, we, that was in the Carolinas. And I remember we traveled from North Alabama and we were hauling a trailer behind the 15 passenger van. And yeah, the, the uh, transmission overheated right as we pulled into the entrance and all the, uh, transmission fluid boiled over and, uh, yeah, but at least we made it that far. We were downshifting to try to, you know, go up and down the hills. We were downshifting, going down hills to try not to burn our brakes up. We ended up messing our, our transmission up. I had to get that worked on while we were there. So, yeah, that was a great experience. So camp and I do go way back. Um, I can remember going to camp as an elementary student. Our church was Emmanuel Baptist Church. And uh, one of the deacons, Ray Ward, he's still around. Uh, he owned some property out in the middle of nowhere in North Alabama, and he had built a two-story rustic cabin. And I mean, with, you know, real, it was a log cabin, um, painted it red, put concrete between the, the, uh, the logs and such. And uh, it had a dining hall downstairs, probably maybe 20 by 20 feet, not that big. And it had a kitchen in the back, um, a bunkhouse upstairs where the girls stayed, a separate cabin bunkhouse where all the guys stayed, a bathhouse. It had a badminton court, a rope swing, uh, a softball field, bush hogged out of, out of a clearing in the woods. And we had a Frisbee golf course. And I'm, I'm itemizing those things because that was it. There was nothing else out there. And so we'd spend a whole week out there just with those things to do. But it was so fun. It was a highlight of some of my early summers. And, uh, I just remember so much about it. Um, the food, you know, very predictable bug juice, Kool-Aid. Uh, they called it bug juice. I'm sure it was just watered down Kool-Aid is all it was. Uh, but they call it bug juice that we would drink and the song sheets that they would pass out and the crazy camp songs that we'd sing every, every summer and the softball games with a softball, the size of a volleyball. It was so weird. Um, I guess so the little kids could hit it and it was real light. Um, you couldn't hit it very far, but, all of that was so predictable, but it was amazing. And, you know, it was strange. It was different. It was wonderful. And that was kind of the introduction to camping. The showers were cold. You know, you could look out of the shower and see into the woods because the roof was just one of those raised, you know, uh, roofs, um, cinder block building and for a week, but it was great. We loved it. We were having a big time. And I uh, also went to family camp every summer in August, Faith Baptist Camp in Resaca, Georgia. Um, believe it or not, I truly remember, and I'm not making this up, the cost was $3 a person for a week of camp. So you pull in and you pay $3 per person for everybody in your vehicle, and that is not a lie. Uh, there were three dormitories. There was a men's dormitory, a ladies' dormitory, and a preacher's dormitory. Um, and... There was, there was nothing going on there except singing, preaching, taking lots of offerings. As you can imagine, it costs more than $3 a, <laughs> a week to feed people. Uh, so they would take lots of offerings. Uh, there was eating and sleeping. And that was it uh, all day, every day for the whole week. And I don't know how many people came to those things. I was you know, a, a child, so I don't remember precisely. It seemed huge to me. Um, there might have even been a thousand there a thousand people there, but it was, it was a large group anyway. And that's where I ended up getting saved. Uh, but some of the smells and customs of that place were very unique and are virtually unreproducible now, uh, at least that combination. Um, the smell of, they called it the tabernacle, the bushes outside of the tabernacle, the smell of their, their breakfast cooking. Um, they always had what they called whole hog sausage. They would make sausage out of the you know, the whole hog. And I don't know if that's something unique or what, but anyway, there were unique smells there that um, 
I'm very nostalgic about even to this day. Then as I got a little older, there was Christian Dales. It was a camp owned by a rich lady. Um, and our church would rent that from her every summer for two weeks um, when I was at Bethel Baptist Church in, in Hartzell, Alabama. And uh, I went there as a junior camper and as a teen camper and as a worker. Um, the workers were called bloodhounds at junior camp. So uh, we would go to teen camp and then the next week we would serve as bloodhounds, some of us um, at junior camp. And that was a super amazing experience. And I could talk for an hour about all the the memories that I have there. Um, we would actually spend a whole week, we spent three weeks out there truly, because we would spend a, a whole week cleaning the place up because it would just be, you know, grass, uh, you know, four feet high and uh, everything was full of dust and bugs and such. And so we'd have to go clean everything out. And that took a whole week and then we would um, have camp. But I remember the polar bear swims at six o'clock in the morning and there was a lake with canoes. We had an archery range and the dining hall. I can still remember those old wooden screen doors with the springs on them. You hear people going in and out all day and that bam, 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 you know, as those doors slam. Uh, I'm real nostalgic, nostalgic about all those weird things. And canteen time and meetings around the flagpole, and skits. Uh, we had some of the grossest skits, man. Uh, the boys' cabins especially. Um, have you ever seen one of those skits where you have a line of people and the, the first person, he has this cup of water there and he like brushes his teeth and washes his mouth out and spits it back in the cup. And the next person does something else, you know, and I don't know. And then the last person, they all spit in the cup and the last one drinks the cup. Have you ever seen that? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the nastiest thing, but every year they would find somebody who was willing to drink the cup. And so they would do that. Uh, and it was, it was horrible. Uh, somebody should have went to jail for that skit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure somebody went to the hospital a few times for that skit, but we did stuff like that every year. Uh, it was, it was crazy. And, uh, then playing, playing pranks on people, you know, giving people swirlies, wa washing their hair in the toilet and, um, short sheet and beds and all kinds of just stupid stuff. Uh, smoke bombing cabins, things like that. We were always getting into trouble, uh, at the Christian Dells. So anyway, it was an amazing place. There were a lot of spiritual things that happened there too, but a lot of just crazy stuff. Um, then when I became a youth pastor, we took our kids to the Bill Rice Ranch, and Tanya has reminded me to the wilds as well. And we went to some, some camp down south. I can't even remember, down in Georgia. I've forgotten the name of it. It was rough. The water smelled like sulfur. I mean, really strong. So it, it was, uh, and they had, Horrible mosquito problems. I remember that. Those are the things that stood out in my mind from that week of camp. Wasn't it Southland? No, Southland was out in Louisiana. What, where was this one then? It was in South Georgia. And I can't well, remember. That's well, it's the one where. Adventure of Faith. Adventure. What is it? No, Venture of Faith. Venture of Faith Camp. Yep. Okay. Jeff Redland preached. Yep. Uh, I remember we were and right in the middle the of. Mouse, that's when the mouse went on the uh around the piano and all of us girls were like screaming our heads off and the lady playing the piano just sat there yeah that was disgusting it was uh, i wish you could have been there patrick it was amazing the, the preacher jeff redland's in the middle of his sermon and a and a mouse runs out from under the piano and of course all the girls at once you can hear this unified <gasps> you know of a hundred ladies or whatever it was and then the mouse runs, there was a wire running up to the speaker and the mouse runs out from under the piano and starts climbing the wire up the corner. He literally had to just stop preaching. Everybody was screaming. The girls were standing on their seats. So it was good. Have you ever heard of that, that song, Mississippi Squirrel Revival? No, I don't think so. Oh, what is that guy's name? Steve, somebody sings all those crazy songs. Uh, it was kind of like that. He could have had an altar call and people would have got saved. It was, uh, it was incredible. So anyway, lots of fond memories. Um, then I became pastor here at Grace, and I was introduced to Camp Tahiglo. And that's something of an acronym. It's the jam-packing together of the words, to his glory, that all things be done for the glory of God. So the camp's name is Tahiglo. It's out in Mercersburg, Pennsylvania. 
and we've been going there yearly for ever since I've been here. So I guess this would be year 16, I think, um, that we've been up there. And I've played a lot of different roles up there in that ministry over the years. And there's actually another camp up there, Camp Joyelle, uh, where we used to go on men's retreats. Um, so I've had a lot of experience with camp and a lot of experience with church camp um, throughout my life. Um, but I want to get to the point here, not just uh, sharing memories, walking down memory lane here, but at both the Christian Dells and at Camp Tehiglo specifically, we always ended the week with a campfire. Um, and that experience was kind of a, uh, a microcosm of the complaint that I mentioned earlier from Bob Schmidt. At the campfire, you would have a group of kids that were exhausted from a week of strangeness and activities and lack of sleep and usually too much heat and, you know, lots of preaching, more preaching than they had ever had. And they're away from mom and dad and they hadn't watched TV for a week. So there's got a lot of factors that contributed to their state of mind. You know, they're all emotional for a lot of different reasons. They're going home the next day, you know, and to top it off, you sing your, you sing your best songs from the week and you preach, you know, your best message uh, there at the campfire, usually take some testimonies. And the next thing you know, everybody's crying. And usually people are making these great and solemn statements about how they're going to be different. And they're going to follow Christ and win the world for Jesus and all these, these kinds of things, which obviously uh, feels very noble and seems very noble. Uh, oftentimes there's some ritual um, that might include, and I've done these things myself, writing your sins on a three by five card and throwing that in the fire or nailing it to a cross or something like that. Or everybody gets a stick and they put that into the fire to symbolize their commitment to Christ. And, you know, it's usually all very moving, but here's the question. Is it of the spirit? Mm -hmm. So this is where you can really help us out there, Patrick. Um, I'm sure you didn't have a sermon at the end of your week of camp. But was there some kind of uh, sense, some kind of spirit in the air that was highly charged and very emotional at the end of just the secular weeks of camp? Yeah, sure. It was it was similar type of experience. I mean, no, nobody was writing their sins down and tossing them in the campfire, but there was the campfire. There was all the other stuff going on. Everybody was, you know, um, pretty emotional and in fact, I was just thinking about a recent experience I saw here in the Gambia, which surprised me. There was there was a team out here from a missions team from some other some other group. I don't really know them. I won't. Well, I do, but I won't. I won't throw out the names. Right. Uh, but they had a camp. You know, this is out in you know the middle of one of these villages uh, that they were out doing evangelization, uh, evangelizing, and. Um, I went to a church service. This is why I know about it because um, they were talking about what they had done and they had this camp and had all these kids here and did this big campfire. And they had like, you know, 20 professions of faith, all, all among Muslim, you know, kids in the middle of this village where you've had this church here that's had maybe 10 believers for, you know, the past 10 years. And now they've got 10 professions of or 20 professions of faith out of some kids. Uh, going around a campfire with nobody to go back and disciple these people. And it was one of the similar situations, this, this big emotional thing that I can just picture is probably what occurred um, with a lot of people saying, Oh yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then all those people are gone and these kids are, you know, back in their um, families who are, you know, devout Muslims and um, with nobody to tell them anything at this point. So, yeah. So that brings me to the ultimate question. It brings me right to the doorstep of the ultimate question that I wanted to deal with today. Does God work through those kind of emotional situations to affect lasting changes in the lives of his children? Of course, I got saved at, at camp. It wasn't a campfire, but they did similar things. They had this huge bronze pot, this big brass, it looked like anyway, and I mean, we're talking huge. It would have held probably, my guess is 50 to 75 gallons of water. Massive thing in the sanctuary. And people would bring stuff and put it in that pot, things that 
that they needed to get rid of. Like if, because uh, this was a family camp, so there were adults there too. So they would you know, throw their cigarettes in there, right? Or if they had cassette tapes of, you know, some some music that everybody considered to be the devil's music, they'd throw that in there. Or if they had some indecent clothing, they'd throw that in there. You know, uh, whatever the preachers were preaching against, they'd throw it. And then they'd take it outside and, and they'd burn it in that in that barrel. Um, which I, I, I'm not being totally facetious and, and being a smart aleck here because there's a there's a concept of that in the scripture. There was some uh, there was a situation where I think it was Paul um, had a bonfire and, and they burnt their, you know, their their idols and their their sorcery tools and things like that. At least that's going on in my head. That is in the Bible, isn't it? I didn't imagine that. Um, but anyway, I got saved at camp after a preacher preached on hell. And it was definitely an emotional sermon. And it was just a bunch of stories meant to scare the bejeebies out of you. And it did. <laughs> it scared me to death. And it actually got my attention and I got saved. Uh, but my brother went up that day and he would say to you, and he made a profession of faith that day. He would say, I did not get saved that day. Um, so I don't know. It might be a two-sided question here. Does God work through these kind of emotional situations to affect lasting changes in the lives of his children or in, or in anybody's life? He did for me, I think, I believe. I'm confident in that. Is, is there also a big danger of counterfeiting, right? Um, a real experience of God's grace. Um, obviously, we should be careful not to manipulate people in situations like this. But, you know, is it okay to embrace and even, I want to use the word exploit in a positive way, the unique vulnerability of these moments? Um, is there a biblical parallel to that kind of ministry? What, what are your thoughts on that, Patrick? I kind of got a sense of it based on what you already said. Well, I think, yes, God can work through those things. And I think he does work through those things. However, I think it depends, a large part depends on the context. Uh, so for example, you know, in America with a lot of um, uh, camps, there's a, there's something to go back to. There's a church to go back to. There's follow-up that hopefully happens. There's, there's the support structure that, well, Maybe it was a real profession. Maybe it wasn't, but it certainly has you open regardless. And hopefully there's going to be continued discipleship and continued, um, you know, teaching to this person so that they can grow in their faith or realize their profession wasn't true and make another profession, whatever it may be. Um, so I think there's value to that, but I do think there's a lot of caution that has to be taken because, it is something that you can just manipulate and create a lot of emotion. And, you know, you even see that in, you know, some church services from time to time and things like that, where they're just trying to get professions of faith. And um, uh, to me, I, I'm not sure why uh, may, maybe the, the theology is off or something um, from these, because to me, God is the one who saves, not how well I manipulate someone into <laughs> into making a profession of faith. Um, not that we aren't supposed to be persuasive, but there's a difference between that and God working us telling, you know, God's truth to someone than just riling up their emotions so that they, you know, come forward and said, Oh yeah, I want to be a part of this. Um, because Jesus, you know, clearly spoke much differently. Uh, when you look at Jesus's teachings, you know, he's telling people to count the cost. If you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. You know, he, he's saying, don't make this decision lightly. This isn't, you know, you're, this is a lifelong decision and it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be all fun and games. You might, you're going to get persecuted because of me. And you better consider that before you make this decision, because if you're going to make the decision to follow him, that means that's what you're going to do. If this is going to be a real, um, if you really truly have faith, then from here on out, you're going to follow Christ. You're going to be persecuted. Um, and I think sometimes in America, because the persecution at times can be so light and it seems like there's not a big cost sometimes, um, that you can get a lot of the, you know, the easy believism or false professions or things like that. They, they don't maybe realize that there is a cost, even in America. Um, yeah. 
but it's, it's easier here and other places where there's, you know, clear open persecution that, you know, Hey, if I tell my parents that, you know, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to get thrown out of my house. They might try to kill me, but my whole community won't talk to me anymore. You know, there's going to be an immediate price to pay. Um, and so you don't tend to see that here as often <laughs> right. because of that. And it's certainly not something we would, you know, a, a, a strategy that we would pursue because it could be very dangerous for the people as well. Um, and I, I think while it doesn't seem like it's dangerous to do it in America, I think you're, you could be giving people false hope and that's pretty dangerous to have a yeah. hope that's not true um, and not truly believe in something. And then, you know, when they die, they go to hell. I would say that's probably the most dangerous thing you could do. And so I think we need to be very careful um, and how we, not that we shouldn't be proclaiming the truth and telling everybody that we can, um, but we need to make sure we have systems in place where it's not just a, a one time, all right, believe this now and then go off and you're good. Yeah. Just the idea of um, getting the statistics of this, this is how many decisions we had made. This is how many professions of faith we had made in this particular ministry, that strategy has definitely driven some strange uh, strategies of going about, you know, uh, evangelism. And I think this is one of the cases um, where knowingly or unknowingly, willingly, or um, just because you don't know of any other way, um, there've been some manipulation that's happened, at least in my experience, where I didn't feel like it was at the moment. Now, as time has gone on and I've gotten a little more, I, I want to use the word sophisticated in my evaluation of the way God works, um, more exposed to a variety of how God has worked in my life and the lives of others. I'm a little more cynical, a little more cautious than I, than I used to be. Um, but bad theology will, will bring about bad practices. And, uh, so yeah. How about you, honey? Have you been through some of these emotionally charged campfire experiences? Um, I mean, when I was a kid, yes. Um, but I have always thought camp speakers sometimes guilt you into thinking that you're really not saved and you have to get saved again. Right. And a lot of that happens during a campfire experience yeah and because because you have fire and so hell is That's right you know hell is fire and do you, you, you want to burn in one of these yeah exactly do you want to burn in one of these and so it makes you have to you know if you're not you know close to god and living in in the direction that god wants us to live then it really makes you doubt yep the salvation it's not my favorite time to, you know, make professions of faith. And I, and I agree with Patrick that, you know, what's going to happen beyond the fire, beyond the campfire, you know, for instance, to me, for cat, for, for Patrick's situation, whatever church this is, that would open an opportunity for them to, if they could, I mean, if they know the church or whatever, an opportunity for them to say, Oh, I, you know, I hear you had these people, um, profess Christ. Can we give you some literature on discipleship and, and all that, that it means? Um, cause to me, what better way to get them learning about the Lord than that? And true, it could just be a, yeah, I want to do this because everybody else is doing it. Yep. So if you're the only one that hasn't thrown your stick in the fire, then you feel yeah. like a stick in the mud and yeah. you're like, oh, I guess I better throw my stick in the fire too. Everybody else has, um, so yeah, it's, it's an easy, um, easy thing to be abused. <laughs> I did find that, that verse, Patrick, that I was trying to think of it's in Acts chapter 19. Um, and it was definitely a situation where people would have been emotional. Um, you got the situation with the seven sons of Sceva that jumped on the guy and tore his clothes off and, and beat him up. And, uh, Everybody found out about it, found out about it and says fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many 
that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So I guess that's where that comes from is Acts chapter 19. Uh, but my point concerning this passage would be this was nat- it was supernatural. It was a natural response to something that was happening that was supernatural. And certainly it would have been a time that was full of emotion, but the power of God was clearly there. And there were, there were forces that were driving people to do what they were doing beyond just the manipulation of somebody guilt tripping them, um, you know, or just uh, capitalizing on their, you know, emotional state. So, you know, if, if we, if we embrace the emotion that God's producing in us and in others in a certain time and we, and, and we cooperate with the spirit and it's an emotional thing, that's fine. As long as it's based upon truth and it's an actual work of the Holy spirit, but just to expect uh, the spirit to show up at the campfire every year at the right time to do, you know, to do the work. I don't know. That seems like a, um, an attempt to, to shortcut, Uh, the way God works. Um, I run often to Hebrews chapter six. And, you know, I was thinking about the fact that I responded to a very emotionally charged, threatening, guilt tripping uh, hellfire and brimstone message when I got saved. The truth is I had responded a lot. I had responded to lots of messages before that. And as Tanya mentioned earlier, without any context, she said that she didn't experience as much yelling as much wildness at camp as I did. And if you don't have any context, you don't know what she's talking about. But that was the standard preaching mode in the Faith Baptist camp and some of the camps that I went to. This, this high intensity, very emotionally charged, um, guilt tripping, hellfire and brimstone style of preaching. So I had responded to many sermons prior to the day when I got saved, right? I had went to the altar many times, and it makes sense. I was lost, right? I was a sinner. I was guilty. And they were preaching these messages that were quite scary, you know, and then they would give these long invitations, singing all 47 verses of have thine own way, Lord, or just as I am, or whatever the uh, pass me not, O gentle Savior, or whatever the sad song was. And <laughs> You know, as you're sitting there listening and the preacher's saying, don't delay, you know, and they would stop the song and they would say, you don't know what's going to happen. You walk out this door, you could die in an automobile accident on the way home, you know, and, and all these kind of things, which if the spirit leads a preacher to say that he should say it. I'm not saying those are the wrong things to say, but in that context, you're like context. You're like, I don't want to go to hell. You know, <laughs> sounds like he's talking to me. I better get this thing straight, you know, and I was going up in those emotional moments, but nothing was happening right? There was no change. I was not born from above. And I think that's what Hebrews 6 uh, is implying, that there are people who uh, have their eyes open to some degree, and they, they taste of what God's doing in the lives of others. They see what the Holy Ghost is doing in the lives of others. They, they're experiencing and ex- they're exposed to the powers of the world to come, but then they're, they're, they're not actually converted. I believe that's what he's talking about there in Hebrews chapter six, verse four and five. Um, and so we just, we want to be careful that we let the spirit move. We don't, as Patrick said, we don't want to give people a, a, saw, a false sense of security. Hey, I pray this prayer. I had this experience and the preacher said, I'm good. So I'm good. And then, and then they march on. They never understood, you know, what, what kind of decision they truly were making uh, or the journey that it would lead to. And then, um, you know, without discipleship and, uh, and so forth, there's no way to, to check back to see if, you know, they, they truly were converted, truly were born again. And so we can, we can, uh, we give people a sugar pill. What do they call that? The pills you get, and it's not a real pill. There's a name for that. Placebo. Placebo. Yeah. The campfire placebo. We don't want to be guilty of giving people spiritual placebos to where they feel like, yeah, I'm okay. You know, their conscience is soothed because they made, you know, some movement. Um, 
if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So uh, if it doesn't last, was it real? That's the question. Not according to the Bible. Not according <laughs> to the scriptures. Yeah. Of course, on the other side, if you try to affect the change without the true conversion, that's that's no good either. So somebody says, well, I'm just going to make sure I change so that it's real. No, it has to be real and the check and the change is affected. They go together. Well, can we conclude with just spending a few moments in prayer for camp 2022? Um, we still have some registrations coming in. Uh, registration ends at the end of this month. Is that right, babe? At the end of June? July 1st is the last day to register. Yeah. After that, there's a $30 late fee. Um, if you want to register for camp, where can they go to register? Delmarvabaptist.org? Yes. Yeah, that's the best place to go. Um, and camp goes from basically the ages 8 to 18. And we do keep our junior campers separate from our teen campers in their activities and their um, teaching times, uh, certainly in their sleeping arrangements. They're in different cabins and such, but we do share the same campground. Um, but if you want to send a child to camp, um, go to delmarvabaptist.org and you can sign them up. Uh, we're expecting to have about 75 campers and 45 volunteers this summer. That's down quite a bit from previous years. Um, COVID really hit us hard, to be honest with you. I've been the camp director for three years, and this is the first time we've had camp because they made me camp director and then COVID hit, and we ended up canceling two years in a row. Um, and last year, we sent some of our kids to somebody else's camp, and they all came home with COVID. <laughs> so <laughs> we were wondering whether we, we should have canceled or should not have canceled, and then they all got COVID, and we were like, oh, well, I guess maybe we did the right thing. Um, but anyway, we're, we're marching on this summer, but we really do want the Spirit to do a great work in all of our hearts during the week. Uh, our guest speaker for the week will be missionary Kyle Shreve, Lord willing. He's scheduled to be with us, and uh, he's a missionary to Chile. And our theme is talking to Jesus. So we'll be talking about prayer all week and doing more praying than we would normally do in a week of camp. Um, so that's where we are. So Patrick's already prayed for us once today. Um, honey, would you be willing to pray for our week of camp that God would change lives for his glory and give us a safe week? Sure. Thanks. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we can to um, come to you uh, with our burdens and our petitions, Lord. And I just pray that um, you will be with us as we uh, endeavor camp this year. Uh, Father, I just pray for the all of the workers that are going to be counselors and leaders. And uh, Father, uh, pray for David and I as we lead the camp this year, that you'll give us wisdom and strength. Father, I'll be with all these campers that are coming, Father, that you'll prepare their hearts. I think of Kyle and Hannah as they uh, come as well as uh, Kyle preaches uh, to the students. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you will um, open the kids' hearts and um, just be with us adults as well, that we will be able to glean uh, something from the messages as well. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to um, be able to do camp this year. And Father, I just pray for the safety of everybody and the different things that we do. Lord, and I just uh, thank you that uh, some of us grew up um, able to go to camp and how that um, our lives have uh, changed uh, during that. Lord, I just thank you for this podcast and for Patrick and David as they um, do this week, week in and week out. Lord, and I just uh, pray that you will bless them and Father be with Patrick and Shell as they're over in the Gambia. Keep them safe, help them to see much fruit and uh, help us to have a good day. And Father, we thank you for all that you do in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, hon. Mm -hmm. Let's see here. Oh, I wanted to ask you, um, did you hear that your, your children are going to be our devotional guinea pigs, Patrick? Um. No. Was okay. That 
<laughs> so uh, we did something we've never done before since we're writing the devotionals uh, for camp because the kids spend 30 minutes alone doing their devotions each day. And it, it follows a pattern, a theme. And so um, I've been writing blogs to match those themes for the workers, basically, so they can kind of prepare their minds and hearts and the preachers as well who will be speaking because not only Kyle Shreve is speaking, but um, Jared Mitchell's speaking, Dylan Iser, um, Matt, uh, David Matthews. Uh, who's the other one, babe? You, Jason. Jason McConnell. Yeah, Jason. <laughs> yeah, Jason McConnell, that guy. <laughs> and myself. Uh, we'll all be speaking and we'll be covering those same topics. But anyway, I, I wrote the devotional. And then I, I had in one of our small groups, rather than doing a small group study, what I did is I had them evaluate the devotion. And uh, we went through it piece by piece and talked about whether we were talking over their head, you know, what's the proper order for these truths to be introduced? Um, what have we left out? And it was just an amazing experience. We had about seven or eight people on there. Shell was one of them. And there were there was way more feedback than we normally get in a small group discussion. And it was really constructive, really helpful and really clear. And so anyway, um, I don't know if Shell volunteered your children or if they volunteered. I think she said they volunteered. Um, but knowing Shell, she probably offered it to them. But anyway, uh, we're going to send the devotions over there so that they can read through them. And they can be the guinea pigs uh, for those oh, devotionals. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that way they can kind of participate in camp from afar. And uh, so that'd be kind of kind of cool. The first day is um, Jesus, because the title of the camp is for the camp theme is talking to Jesus. So the first day is Jesus. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Um, so that prayers along that line. And um we talk about, uh, Pete, you can tell me what you think about this, Patrick. This is a strange thing. Jesus shows up there in the life of Peter very early on, and he, he has the miraculous catch of fish, right? Mm -hmm. And then Peter prays the strangest prayer. I don't think any of us, if we were guessing what he would have said to Jesus, I don't think any of us would have guessed this. Peter's response to the miracle was, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Mm -hmm. So what, what's your, I know you didn't have a chance to think about this beforehand, but <laughs> what do you think about that? Why did he come up with that? Um, my, my impression, I mean, obviously not being inside Peter's mind, but my thought is, I guess if I just saw a miracle like that, realizing I don't know exactly who this guy is, but God is obviously with this guy uh, regardless. And so there was probably some fear, I would think, that he was experiencing and going, well, I'm a sinner. You need to get away from me because who knows what you might do to me? You know, like I, I think he was scared, you know, um, that someone that could do something like that. I don't want to be around because I'm, <laughs> I'm not worthy to be around someone like that. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, it, it is theologically proper when we meet with God to recognize his holiness and for us to respond in recognizing our guilt and becoming afraid. That's an appropriate response. Of course, Jesus didn't leave and he didn't leave Peter in his sin. He said, no, Peter, you're going to come with me. Um, so God brings us to that place of humility and repentance and fear and guilt even in order to convert us, in order to rescue us. So uh, it's an attention-grabbing tool, and it's legitimate. But uh, yeah, and I'll tell you, I didn't have this in my devotion, but uh, one of the people, I think it was Chad Shelley said it this way, trying to put this in words where, because especially that truth, trying to communicate that to an eight-year-old, <laughs> eh, yeah. it, it feels challenging. And he said, well, what if you think of it this way? If I was playing quarterback, on some team and then Tom Brady showed up. I wouldn't mm -hmm. want to play quarterback anymore. <laughs> I mean, like right. uh, you can play quarterback. I'm not, I'm not going to be out here throwing the ball with Tom Brady watching. So that's a good a, illustration. I think yeah. so too. On a grander scale, um, Peter realized he was in the, in the presence of true greatness and 
just realized his absolute unworthiness. Um, so anyway, that's that's where we're going. I got four more to do uh, with with that small group, so I'm excited about that. And uh, hopefully it'll be a great blessing to the kids. And uh, hopefully we'll come out of uh, the week of, of studying this, uh, all of us uh, being truly devoted in prayer and our lives changed and our prayer habits for the better, for the glory of God. So we'll see how it affects your children. <laughs> At the end of the week, you can uh, have a campfire and say, all right, who's going to pray differently? Come on, throw a stick in the fire. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that about does it. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Tanya, for spending time with me today. I want God to bless you both, uh, your families, especially my wife's family. I really want God to bless her family. Her husband needs lots of blessings. Uh, so pray for God's blessings on you guys and on your ministries continually. To our listeners, no matter what platform you're listening to this podcast on, be sure to let others know about it and listen to other episodes as well. Like, share, subscribe, comment, and review, etc. God bless you all. Hope you'll listen again next time, whenever that may be. The Spirit may lead us. We may have another podcast episode, uh, you know, next week for, for all I know. But actually in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, it's probably going to be late August before we get another episode in. Uh, so camp duties are just eating up tons and tons of time. And that's okay. I don't think the world will stop spinning if they have to miss an episode or two of Grace or Grit. All right, God bless. <laughs>